If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of James chapter 3. I look forward to sharing this with you. We're going to talk about the power of words. We live in a time where we see things that we thought really would never take place, but uh, we'll read in the news on more than one occasion of a teenager who will take their life because of what's been said about them on Facebook or in person. The piling up of words and phrases and criticisms and judgments would actually drive a young person to commit suicide. That tells me that words have power. They really do. And James talks about that in this passage, the power of words. I want us to leave here today to understand what this really means. And my prayer is that we'll become aware of how we practice what we should be doing as believers and followers of Christ. Because it's imperative that we live out our faith in such a way that people know it's real. So... The power of communication is one of the greatest gifts God has entrusted to us. And it is, communication is amazing today. But here's what we know about it. It can accomplish good or evil. So let's dig in, see what he has to say, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will all receive a stricter judgment, meaning we'll be held accountable for what we teach and say. For we all stumble in many ways. Now notice this, he is talking to believers now. He's not talking to the unsaved. That they, 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 have, they march to a different standard, quite honestly. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to change their life. The reality of a relationship that, that determines a love factor. So he's saying, here's what I want you to get. We all stumble in many ways. Now, you need to get that because the next time you want to talk about somebody else stumbling, you may want to look in the mirror just for a minute. We all stumble in many ways. Here we go. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man or person. Did you get that? Now, we all stumble. We all got those moments where we don't do what we should do, do what we shouldn't do. We struggle with with a lot of things. But he said, the guy who knows how not to stumble in what he will say is mature. Wow. Wow. So evidently, one of, the, one of the determining factors of the thermometer of, of how mature you are is how, what you do with your tongue. And here's what he says. Who is able to control his whole body? If a man can, if he can control his tongue, he's going to control his whole body. He's actually going to be very mature. All right? Now, when he puts bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot, pilot directs. I want you to look at three things with me as we talk about this for a minute. And I want us to all get this. I am probably talking to me far more than I'm talking to you. But you need to listen anyway. First of all, James is saying in these first few verses... What we say 
has the power to direct actions and attitudes. What we say, the words we choose to speak out of our mouth into the ears of someone else has amazing power to direct their actions and attitudes. Every word. Every word actually has a cause and effect to it. And so he's saying, here's what I want you to get. As you begin to speak, realize you are now directing actions and attitudes. We all know what that's like. We're having a great day and all of a sudden someone says something just like they let the air out of our tires. What it came, it came from the words. A single word can change the atmosphere of your environment. Or maybe you're having a bad day and somebody says something all of a sudden you're, you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. All because of a word. You see, so this is what we get. He said, get this, this little thing. This tongue is powerful, man. It can move things. Make things happen. Matter of fact, words can bring death or life. They can make us feel good. They can make us feel uh, worthy and worth, worthwhile and significant. Or they can make us feel insignificant. They can destroy our motivation. Uh, he says, here the illustration, look, you know how, how big a horse is. Well, the truth is, the only way you control a horse is by a little bit that fits in the back of his mouth and, and a harness fits over his face. And he, he is controlled by this one little thing, as big as he is. And yet, that determines whether he goes right, left, forward, or stops. Simple little bit. He says the tongue's like that. That tongue determines direction in your life and lives of others. When we speak, we are actually having impact and influence every time we speak. I don't know about you, but that's a little overwhelming to me. Because I think sometimes we probably maybe might want to say that we may talk too much. If that's the case. And so we look at this, we go, okay, it has, it has a, it is this, this, if, it, if it's that powerful to control direction, he says, like a bit, it controls a horse, it certainly will control, no matter how large the crowd can control it. Influence direction. He talks about a rudder that's small on ship, and even if the winds are pretty strong, its destination is determined by the pilot moving the rudder. Meaning, your tongue. Your tongue is controlled in such a way that determines the destination of you and sometimes the people around you. He's saying to this body of believers in his day, as he would say to you and me in the 21st century, that use Facebook, you need to be careful what you say. Because you're affecting people. Every time you speak. Words can encourage. They can be kind and complimentary. And oh, they can be inspiring. Or they can be discouraging. They can be negative and critical. The reason he has to write this is because this is how we live, guys. It is our nature to be negative. That's where we lean. That's the first place we fall if something happens. We fall to the negative. And so he's saying, guys, I want you to tell you, I'm trying to tell you that your faith becomes very visible to a lost world if they see how you control your tongue. And the truth is, the main criticism about the church day is they listen to what we say. 
And they go, you guys say that about one another, and you say that about life. And, and yet we think, well, you know, I just want just to say how I feel. Well, that's not quite how it should go. Also, words can build hope or break hearts. It can build hope in people, inspire them, or it can break their heart. Break their spirit. It is important what you say to your children, your grandchildren. It is important what you say to your spouse. Always. You know, we, we tend to think we have this blank check of words, and we can say what comes across our mind. Truthfully, that's not what James is saying. He's saying you need to put a filter on your mouth. Holy Spirit needs to be your pilot. He needs to kind of help you figure out what you should say, what you shouldn't say. Matter of fact, will you feel like I need to vent? Well, you need to vent to the Lord first and foremost, and he'll determine what else you need to say beyond that. And he may tell you to shut up. You don't need to say anything. You're going, but, but I want to. I know you want to because you'll feel good for the moment until you realize how much damage you've done. Realize, well, I didn't mean to do that. That's what James is trying to say, guys. The power of words. We say stuff that doesn't need to be said. We repeat stuff that needs to be repeated. And he's trying to say, if we're going to have a faith that's visible and attracts people to the King of kings and Lord of lords, we have got to control our tongue. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, reckless words mean you speak without thinking. That's reckless words. Reckless words, they cut to the heart. They're like stabbing somebody with a sword. That's a pretty big visual, don't you think? Pretty good visual. When I say things, it's like taking something and stabbing you. If it's reckless, if it's not well thought out. If I, if I, but if I apply wisdom, which comes from the Lord, okay, it brings healing. Say, but some things need to be said. Probably do. How you say them is important. And the Lord helps you with that. True story about Chuck Swindoll. He was speaking at a place in California. Chuck Swindoll is, is one of them. I love this man. I love to hear him speak. Uh, he's never boring. I always bring something to the table. But a gentleman came to him and said, Oh, Dr. Swindle, I've waited so long for this week to spend with you. I can't wait to hear you. I'm going to eat up everything you have to say. And, of course, Dr. Swindle thanked him and said, Thank you. I'm glad you're going to be here. We're going to have a good time. Well, the man sat on the front row, got there early, made sure he had a front row seat at every session he spoke. And, and, of course, you, you notice people, I, whether y'all know it or not, I really watch y'all. I'm looking at y'all while I'm speaking. I know when you're smiling and when you're frowning and I know when you're sleeping. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he's not, and notice the guy is, is nodding off. He's nodding off. And, you know, he's going, wow. You know, and you kind of think, well, maybe I'm not connected and maybe it's me. Because and, and, uh, we all think that while they're going to sleep. And then uh, happened the next session, and the next session, and the next session. 
And this went on for four days as he would speak at various times that this guy would be on the front row and not off. And he would say, he was saying, I got very frustrated and I got a little upset because I'm thinking, I've prepared, I'm bringing the to food to the table and you're falling asleep and you said you want to soak up everything I was saying. Thursday, the last day, and the woman sat next to him was his wife, and she came up to Dr. Swindle and said, I want to thank you for the week. Been one of the greatest ministries in my husband's life. And he's thinking, yeah, right. She says, um, he has terminal cancer. He has weeks to live. And one of his greatest desires before he dies was to come and hear you speak. Because of the medication... He's taking. He can't stay away. But he has been blessed by just being here. And Dr. Swindle said, I could have crawled under a rock for the things I had thought. We're quick to judge without knowing all the facts. We run to it. Like a moth of flame. Oh, I can't wait. Guys, I don't know what goes on in your life. You may have a bad day and you may say something you don't really mean to say. I don't know what your night was like. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your bank account looks like. I don't know what's happening with your children. I don't know what's breaking your heart. I'm learning to be real slow to speak. And I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're quiet today. Maybe it has nothing to do with me. And I think you're ignoring me or being rude to me. It has nothing to do with me. Your world may be falling apart. You see, we come to the point of making everything about us. Well, why don't you like me? And why don't you talk to me? Well, maybe... I didn't want to talk to anybody. I'm hurting. Maybe I'm carrying a burden. Not ready to share it. You understand? That's what he's talking about. We are too quick to judge. You say, well, sin, sin. I get sin, sin. Don't get me wrong now. The Bible says a sin is sin. The Bible, Bible makes a judgment. I don't. I just simply share with you about how I approach you is important. How I love you through it is important. How I try to restore you is important. You see, most of the time, we want to destroy people. We don't restore them. The Bible I read is big on restoration. Real big on it. I want to get people restored as quick as I can. I want them getting back on the, in the, on, on the front lines for the kingdom as quick as I can. I, I, so, so I look at this, and here's what he says. So, but there's something else. Let me read more to you. There's more. I could stay there longer. I need to get on. Come on, move on, Lord. Here we go. Verse 5. So, too. Now, he says, okay, there's a small member that can, can determine direction and attitude and actions. It can do this. So, you're actually, as you speak, you're determining a lot of times people's attitudes and actions. That may be on a good roll. You may mess them up by what you say. 
Okay. Now, here we go. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest and small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of the life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Boy, pretty strong preaching, don't you think? I don't even need to interpret that. For every creature, animal, bird, reptile, or fish, is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, when he says that, going back to what he said, but... By the power of the Holy Spirit, you tame the tongue. No man in his own strength can tame his tongue because of our nature. But the Holy Spirit in us becomes the one who helps us tame our tongue. Therefore, our faith becomes visible because we have a relationship with God, because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And therefore, because he's in us, he's helping us filter and convicting us when we say what we shouldn't and not say what we should. And so he says he's there to... All of a sudden, help us tame that which is impossible for us to tame on our own. I want to tell you that because when we run into lost people and they say things that astound us, don't be astounded. They have no, they're lost. Lost people talk like lost people. They talk from a hopelessness to not be able to tame their tongue. They need Jesus. That's what they need. That's who they need. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. They need him. And so so he's saying, guys, nobody can do this, so what's the deal? Now it's kind of like, well, this is a big problem. It is because here's what we know. What we say, secondly, has the power to destroy life, purpose, and potential. What we say has, has, this, has this power to really mess people up. He said, you know, it only takes a small spark to consume a forest. We're seeing this every day on the news. If you look out west at where it's so dry and all of a sudden uh, uh, somebody just does something small and it consumes thousands of acres of trees, consuming houses. It started a small thing. A, a lightning bolt hits a spark takes place, a little fire, and all of a sudden it consumes thousands and thousands of trees. A little, a little flame will all of a sudden bring firemen from states all over, put airplanes in the air, helicopters in the air. They'll do all they can to try to contain what was started by a little spark. Now James is saying our tongue's that way. We can say something, and all of a sudden it catches on like wildfire. And the destruction can be beyond imagination. We say things, and all of a sudden it catches fire. And we're kind of like, what happened? I don't know what happened. Well, you opened your mouth. Tell you what happened. Ain't hard. You said something you shouldn't have said. And we go, well, I just didn't mean to do that. It don't matter. The damage is done. <laughs> so we, we do this. We say things. The tongue has killed many a church. Yeah. 
you know, most of the time we try to blame the devil for everything that goes wrong with us. Everything happens, it's the devil's fault. Truth for the devil is pretty much content to let us self-destruct most of the time. He just stays out of the way and lets us go at it. You guys are doing a good job without me. I'm going to leave you all alone. So this thing of a spark that says something and can destroy, it's like, it's like a fire that heats things up and consumes quickly. I just want to tell people I feel. Nowhere in this book does it say you can do that. You can be honest. I think you have to be transparent. But you do that with love. You season your words with grace. The truth is, there's times that I may feel angry, but I don't need to speak to you that way until I get that settled with God. Now, I may. See, before I vent to anyone else about anyone else, I should vent to God. That's where it starts. Say, Lord, I got to tell you, I'm ticked off about this. I'm mad about this. I'm hurt about this. I'm angry about this. And I'm just going to unload. And it's amazing what the Lord may tell you back. Um, it really is. John Hyde, who was a missionary to India, great, great missionary, but known pretty much for his prayer life. He'd pray hours on the end on the day. And people would just love to sit and pray with him, uh, knowing that it would be two or three hours. He knew how to get on the throne of God. He was a godly man. One day he talks about this in, in his journals. He said, I was, I was praying and there was a pastor over here that I was just real frustrated with. So I began to pray to God and begin to start complaining about this brother. I was about to tell God how sorry he was, how cold he was, how, how he wasn't doing good because things weren't going well and he was having some problems and I just was about to tell God how bad he was. And he said, before I get the word cold out of my mouth, here's what he said. God convicted me deeply and said, if you touch him, you touch the apple of my eye. He said, a great horror swept over me. I felt guilty of accusing the brethren. And I began to think differently. All of a sudden, I said, okay. Show me what's good in my brother. That was his prayer. Okay, show me what's good. And God began to show him. He, he loves his wife. He's faithful to his wife. He loves his children. He works hard. He does this. And he began to, he, all these things began to come to, to pray and hide. He began to thank God for the man. Thanked him for this and thanked him for that and began to think. And he said, you know, all of a sudden I, I realized I, I, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was, you know, I began to praise God for him. You see, we need to realize what we say can kill people's potential. Now you mess with God's stuff. Just going to tell you, you mess with God's stuff. I sit at a table one time with some pastors. I say this because pastors can be the worst. And, and a pastor began to slander a fellow minister. And I'm going to tell you, first thing, I lost my appetite. And guys, y'all know I like to eat. But it tore me up. He looked across the table. There was 12 of us there. He looked across the table and said, I presume that I've upset you. I said, yes, sir, you have. Because you said something you shouldn't have said. In front of all these guys, you've damaged this man's reputation. And I, and I can't let you do that. 
I left the table, went to the phone, made two phone calls because something happened that shouldn't have happened out of confidence from a hospital, first of all, which was inaccurate. But I made two phone calls. And then I got back. I said, I've got you a meeting with the person you've accused tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. He said, well, I ain't got to do that. I said, oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. You do. You don't get to do this. We destroy life's purpose and potential by what we say. And we don't mean to, guys. Let me tell you. I, I'm around people all the time that don't mean to. I, I, I am, I am. I'm, I'm around them. And, and uh, uh, I, I've told this before, but it just fits. A little brought it to my mind, so I might need to share it with you again, evidently. Uh, my mom, she, she was a talker. She always was a talker. And she could be critical. And truthfully, I sometimes when she get that way, I wouldn't talk to her. I mean, she. I, if you notice me much, if you start getting critical, I'm going to find some place to go. I really, I don't want to hang with you that much because I, cause I may join in. That'd be bad. I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm susceptible too. So anyway, but she was, she was called and she was fussing about a guy who spoke at their banquet at their church, a kickoff for, a, for a, together we build and. She was talking about him and, and fussing about him and complaining about him and telling him how he made jokes all the time. And I'm thinking, oh, anyway. And I'm listening to her, and, and I said, Mom, who was this guy? She said, I don't remember his name. She really paid attention, wasn't she? Anyway, I said, but he had a huge ring on his finger. I said, I know his name. It was his name? And I gave the name. He said, yeah, that's who it was. You know why? Where's that big ring on his finger? She thought it was being gaudy. He'd been gaudy, showing off, big old diamond. And it, it was. His diamond ring's about that big. So I, you know, I said, you know where was that ring? He says, no. He said, his wife died giving labor. That was the locket. That was, the, was around her neck. She died. Put in a ring to remember her. And my mom said, well, I got to go now. <sighs> okay. James says, we need to be careful how we talk. Plain and simple. I, just simple. I, we go, well, I, you don't understand. Probably not. But I'm still telling what the book says. I didn't write it, just reading it to you. But it means what it says. And it tells us that the reason we have such chaos sometimes is because of what we say. And sometimes we're trying to deal with other people that chaos comes back on us. Like poison. Well, the last thing. What we say has the power to dispense affirmation and motivation. If we bless our Lord and Father and with it curse men who are made in God's likeness. <laughs> wow. He said, man, how can you praise Jesus and talk about everybody else like they're nothing? Hmm. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water? From the same opening. Well, the answer is no. 
Can fig trees resolve? The answer is no. My brothers, can grapevines produce figs? No. Neither can a salt water spring give fresh water. He says, man, what we dispense can affirm and motivate, or, and it should line up with our faith. Here's what Proverbs 10, 11 says. The mouth of, righteous, of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. He said, those who live righteously and, and mature in their faith, they have fountains of life. Their words bring life. Their words bring motivation. Their words bring encouragement. They're inspiring. And then those who seem to want to have create chaos, create chaos. And they destroy. And he says, these things ought not to be in the body of Christ. We're supposed to be good fruit. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for a lack of judgment. Gosh. We need to use our mouths to be affirming and motivating. Now you say, but what have you got to deal with? Well, you deal with stuff. You sit down and talk to somebody. You say, look, I think this is wrong. I don't agree. You know, I, I think I'm praying you need to talk about this. You need to repent. Those things are biblical. But the way you do them is you go deal with those people in such a way that you don't destroy them because that's not God's intention. But if you tell 15 other people, you have destroyed them. You understand? That's what we do. We like to tell bad news. Bad news sells. Bad news makes people think you know stuff. Bad news makes people feel important. Bad news is why we have multiple news stations on the TV. It's the bad news everybody likes. And we think bad news gets us an audience. And so we like to tell bad news. So he said, guys, man, do something in a way that determines. Encouragement is a gift. I think we, we certainly need to practice it more. Encouragement's huge. Encouragement's kind of like peanut butter on bread. The more you put on spread around, the better things stick together. just works that way. The church is in need of cheerleaders. You know, I, I, of course, football season's upon us, and we, you know, we, we got the guys playing on the field, but also you have the cheerleaders down front. I know, I know my daughter was a cheer, one of my daughters was a cheerleader, and I, and I, I watch it. The thing I notice about cheerleaders is they are doing their job no matter the score. You ever notice that? I mean, the fourth quarter, you could be down 30 points, and they're out there going... Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? They're hollering for defense. It don't matter anymore, but they're hollering for defense. Game's over. But you can't tell it by what they're doing. They cheer to the last second of the ball game. We need to be more like that. We do. We need to be, hey. We need to be cheering one another, man. We need to be pulling for one another, encouraging one another, inspiring one another, motivating. We need to be doing this. If criticism is warranted to you, if criticism comes to you, deal with it. If it's warranted, say, dear God, thank you for showing me that. I need to deal with it. If it's not, ignore it. Don't try to respond. Just dismiss it. If it's not warranted, go. Let it go. Just let it go. Don't get in the battle of words with other people. It doesn't matter. It's not worth it. 
not worth it. Say, well, suppose, hey, I'll trust God with that stuff. He's always faithful to do that what's right. Um, so we get this. Many churches, many churches need cheerleaders. In 1996, the Olympics, we just finished the Olympic season and was, saw some great athletes. 1996 was a, f- a favorite time. Uh, the U.S. did great in the Olympics, but uh, a young lady named Carrie Strug, the Olympic gymnast, was the star. Uh, she was part of a great team. They were all great. But it came down to the gold was on her shoulders. The team had done good, but now is, could they bring home the gold in, 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 in an amazing fashion? And, and it was on her shoulders. She did her first vault. In the process, she sprained her ankle. And needless to say, it was, it was a disaster. She had to get a good score. If you remember, if you go back and you're, if you're watching this, she's standing and she's crying and her ankle's hurting and she's doing this and, she's can't, and she can't put her weight on it. If you'll notice very carefully, she looked over and her coach is saying to her, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. You can do it. In the interview, they were talking about, what was it like when you realized you sprung your ankle? And, and she said, I heard my coach say, you can do it. You can do it. Tears were just crying. She's in pain. And she realizes that if she doesn't do good, they don't win. And so she comes to her spot. Almost limping as she begins to make her move. She mounts the vault and she begins to do her routine. She has to land perfectly. With a sprained ankle, she lands perfectly. The crowd went wild because they knew the pain. She's crying. She's hurting. And they said, how did you do it? She said, I never took my eyes off the coach. He kept saying, you can do it. You can do it. The power of words. It really matters what we say. It really does. And this excuse of, well, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean it that way stuff. Is just excuses stuffed with lies. It is time that people of God really come to a state of maturity in our lives and our faith that we magnify the grace of God in the words we use to say. How we talk to each other, how we talk about each other. It really matters what we say.